Hey brothers, Maestro here, and welcome to Catacombs Episode 2, an Orthodox Christian Men's Association program dedicated to becoming better men together in Christ Jesus our Lord. So let's enter the catacombs singing the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, now and ever, and unto the ages of ages. Amen. Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy. O Lord, bless. O Christ God, bless the work of thy servant, for thou art holy now and ever, and unto the ages of ages. Amen. All right, so we got a great show for you tonight. It's a continuation of episode one. And whereas episode one was pithy and short and to the point, episode two is going to be the opposite. I got a funny story that I can tell you from my days of college. I had a Greek professor, God rest his soul, Dr. Carlton. And he told us a funny story once of an Englishman, a Frenchman, and a German being commissioned to write the history of the Greek language. So the Frenchman brings the draft, a respectable 200 pages, succinct and to the point. Then the Englishman comes with an even larger 500 page draft proper and everything in order and then finally the german comes in with his draft which is over a thousand pages and that's just the introduction so needless to say i'm german both sides of my parents and we can be verbose so i promise that i will try not to be verbose but well, we got a lot of great information to cover in elaborating on manhood and orthodoxy. I'll try to be succinct, but we might be going for a while. So let's just dive right in. What I want to start out with is from the book of Psalms, Psalm 8, verse 4. What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visiteth him? What is man? That's what we're going to get into tonight. So to start with that question, what is a man? Well, a man's not a woman. A man's not a boy. And perhaps you could even make a distinction that there's a difference between being biologically a male and a man. So again, what does that mean to be a man? 
And then as an Orthodox Christian, what does it mean to be an Orthodox man? Now we instinctively know already that Christ is the God man. We were created in the image and likeness of him and he's the image of the father. So that's what we're going to be exploring tonight. Where we're going to start, I'm going to share a screen here. And we're going to go to my parish priest's um, website where some of his work is stpaisiosbrotherhood.com and I'm going to share the screen here and we're going to listen to Father Michael Butler talk a little bit about masculinity. Glory to Jesus Christ. This is Father Michael Butler of Holy Transfiguration Orthodox Church in Livonia, Michigan. And this is the first in a series of podcasts or audio recordings that I plan to do on subjects of orthodoxy and masculinity. Being the very first one that I've done, I don't have any fancy music or intro to give you. Maybe all of that will come in time, but I think the information is important enough that I don't want to wait around until I've learned all of those sweet production tricks uh, in order to start giving you some content. So without further ado, we'll just jump right into the material that I have to talk about today. Uh, and uh, we'll clean this up and I hope get better at it in the days to come. First off, what I want to discuss today is what is masculinity? It's really kind of hard to define. Uh, it's one of those things that we recognize when we see it, but we have a hard time putting it into words. I'm going to reject out of hand the postmodern view that masculinity is just whatever you want it to be. You know, be yourself to the max, be 1000% authentic and real and committed to who you are, and that's masculine. Well, thousands of years of human history disagree with that, and so do I. But that's a subject for another time. Instead, I'm going to begin with the assumption that despite differing cultural expressions of masculinity, it has certain objective characteristics that everybody recognizes. Again, we all know it when we see it, and I'd like to help us sketch it out a little bit. Jack Donovan, in his book The Way of Men, draws a distinction between being a good man and being good at being a man that I think helps us out here. He says, being a good man has to do with ideas about morality, ethics, religion, and behaving productively within a given civilizational structure. Being a good man may or may not have anything at all to do with the natural role of men in a survival scenario. It is possible to be a good man without being particularly good at being a man. Being good at being a man is about being willing and able to fulfill the natural role of men in a survival scenario. Being good at being a man is about showing other men that you are the kind of guy they'd want on their team if the shit hits the fan. Being good at being a man isn't a quest for moral perfection. It's about fighting to survive. Good men admire or respect bad men when they demonstrate strength, courage, 
mastery, or a commitment to the men of their own renegade tribes. A concern with being good at being a man is what good guys and bad guys have in common. Now, I'd like to suggest that masculinity is closer to being good at being a man than it is to being a good man. That's because masculinity includes qualities like strength, courage, mastery, honor, and loyalty, which are the kind of objective characteristics of masculinity that everybody recognizes and admires. I'd suggest further that masculinity is basically what men want from other men. Sure, it also includes what women want from a man, but for our purposes at this moment, we'll focus on what men want from other men, or what we find admirable in other men, if you prefer to put it that way. How does this relate to orthodoxy? We often say that orthodoxy is life. That's because orthodoxy encompasses every aspect of our lives. It's a holistic, integrated way of thinking and living in accordance with the gospel of Christ. The transformation of our minds and the offering of our bodies as a living sacrifice, as St. Paul says in Romans 12. If that's so, then orthodoxy should encompass both being a good man, spiritual, moral, and character formation, and being good at being a man, which is character and physical formation, at the same time. Most orthodox material focuses exclusively on how to be a good man, but it has little or nothing to say about being good at being a man. Maybe that wasn't an issue before, and so it didn't need any attention. But I think it is an issue today, and I think it deserves some serious consideration. And this is what I think we can offer here to Orthodox men today. Help with both being a good man and help with being good at being a man and grounding both of those things in Christ. So let's run with the definition of masculinity is what men want from other men. Well, what do men want from other men? Or, more personally put, what do we want from other men? Maybe it's easier, by way of contrast, to start off by saying what we don't want from other men, or what we don't find admirable in them. And if we're being honest here, what we're really talking about is what we don't like in ourselves either. So what are the things we don't find admirable in other men? <clears throat> things like weakness, anxiety, indecisiveness, inability to plan or follow through, flaking on appointments or responsibilities, lack of focus and direction, lack of integrity, instability, moodiness, and uselessness. So what do we want from other men, what we do find admirable in them, and ultimately what we'd like for ourselves, that's going to look a whole lot like the opposite of these qualities I just mentioned. So let's consider a few positive qualities that are the opposite of these bad ones. First up, I'd mention physicality or strength. Physicality is the presence that men embody, and it's exactly what it sounds like. It's physical. It's the physical confidence that comes from being healthy and fit and strong. It's the poise that comes from mastering one's own body. It's size and strength. Physicality is essential if a man is going to protect himself and others. A man that cannot protect himself cannot provide for himself. A man that carries himself well, who is comfortable in his own skin, 
is undeniable in his presence, regardless of what he's wearing or the environment he finds himself in. Everybody knows what this looks like. It's evident in the main character of every male action movie out there. By way of a story for illustration, when I was just out of graduate school and uh, looking to get married and, and starting to look around for women to date, I had a, a friend of mine who was also just out of graduate school, and he was in the same situation. He was ready to settle down and get married and start his career and his family and all. Only my buddy was very small. I, if he was five foot tall and weighed 125 pounds soaking wet, that's, prob that's probably an exaggeration. Uh, and we were sitting around talking one day with some other guys just shooting the breeze and saying, well, you know, what do women want? You know, because we were looking for them and we wanted to know what women wanted in a man. And, you know, someone said, ah, they want big, hairy men. And my buddy chimed in and says, well, aren't there any women out there who want little, hairy men? The point is that big and strong wins out over weak and small every time. And we all know that. So the first thing that we'd uh, look for in men, uh, physicality and strength is it, it, up there at the top. Second, decisiveness. Men that make decisions and do so with conviction are looked on as leaders. Why? Because making a decision shows that a man can impose order in the face of chaos. This is why decisiveness is characteristic of effective leadership. To lead is to weigh, to consider, and then to choose. To be decisive is to choose with courage. Courage is an active manifestation of making choices from a position of power and confidence. Men that are indecisive, they're not looked upon as leaders. And men that have a hard time choosing for themselves, or who can't get their shit together, or who can't figure out what they want, look immature. So decisiveness is the second admirable characteristic of masculinity. Third, assertiveness. To be assertive is to be proactive, which is one of the most obvious traits of masculinity. What do we say? He's making his move. He goes after what he wants. He's making things happen. All of these statements carry the physical element of movement and momentum. Assertiveness is a controlled expression of aggression. Men create momentum, they go after what they want. Men are that, that are assertive are assumed to be good at handling chaos and disorder and trouble. Men that are not assertive are usually regarded as beta men, passive men, or low energy. They don't appear dependable. They're often given less responsibility, and they're not looked upon as authorities or role models. So assertiveness is another thing we want from other men. <coughs> Fourth, calmness or cool. Calmness or coolness is mental stability and focus in the face of chaos. This includes remaining calm and cool in the face of women's emotions, by the way. To be calm, you have to be in control of yourself. Men that are calm and cool are relied upon. Men that are nervous and anxious are not. Calmness is a characteristic of mastery. In fact, it's been said, three of the most important words that you can say to your woman are, I got this. I got this. Just the simple ability to be able to handle things calmly and to be in control and have mastery of a situation is immensely calming uh, to the women in our lives. Especially in competition, too. The need for a calm mind is a prerequisite for high levels of performance. Nervous men are neurotic and are never heroes. 
There are a lot of other admirable characteristics of masculinity that we could include and discuss. Things like productivity. It's one of the defining characteristics between boys and men that boys are dependent and consume more than they produce, while men are independent and produce more than they consume. A man has to produce more than he consumes if he's going to be able to provide for others. So productivity, passion and intensity, indomitability, that is the quality of never backing down, of never throwing in the towel, of never quitting. Consistency, the ability to grind at work, at home, at school, in the gym, regardless of setbacks or your feelings. Depth, having more emotions than just anger and lust, and having enough knowledge so that you can carry on a conversation with just about anybody. Having some life experience so that you can empathize and relate to other people's circumstances. And authenticity, speaking truth straight from the shoulder, as opposed to relying on feelings or being real, and basic honesty and acting in accordance with your beliefs. And that includes your belief in Christ and your Orthodox faith. There are other characteristics of masculinity that we could talk about. Jack Donovan's four tactical virtues of strength, courage, mastery, and honor come to mind. But I think this is enough to get us started. So here's a question for you. What characteristics of masculinity that you think are important have I left out of this list? In the next episode, I'll distinguish immature from mature masculinity and say a brief word about toxic masculinity as well. I'll also give a few reasons why being more masculine can offer us strategic advantages in life. But that's all for now, and I'm out. Thank you for your time and attention. Okay. So just to recap a little bit about what Father Michael was talking about is that being a good man, a virtuous man, and being good at being a man are not in contrast, but ultimately complementary in the sense that we've lost something in our culture and in the rite of passage where the being good at being a man part, the masculinity is sometimes wanting. And so that's what he's talking about. Being good at being a man is first being able to survive the man you want in your team to survive. And so he goes into Jack Donovan's The Way of Men to really pull the resources out of that and the four tactical virtues of uh, strength, courage, mastery, honor, and uh, what men want from, from other men, drawing on that aspect because it can't be taken for granted so much today. Virtuous men, yes, and that's, and that's uh, our holy fathers, the saints that are our heroes and go before us. We have them as, as models. But what about those survival skills? Now, physicality and strength he talked about, and that's an obvious one. Healthy, fit, strong, confident. Then he mentioned others about being decisive and a leader, being assertive and proactive, 
cool, calm, and collected, especially in the face of chaos. Productive and uh, never backing down, throwing the towel, doing the daily grind. Don't quit. Consistency, even regardless of setbacks. Emotional depth, more than just anger and lust. And authenticity, speaking the truth in love. So this this uh, brings me to up to my mind several things that Father and I have discussed before in uh, talking about three things in relationship with women, whether it be your spouse or girlfriend. And I remember him telling me that the number one thing is shut the f up, and then going to say something make sure it's i love you and then the three words he mentioned i got this because that that's love in action for your spouse and so that that's always uh stuck with me and i'll tell my guys first thing shut the f up tell me you love them and then tell them i got this and do it be that man and then um the other uh, thing that uh, rang a little bit of a bell, too, is when he talks about um, the setback. Uh, you know, what, what if you're older and it takes you twice as long to do something that the younger guys can do? Maybe you're out of shape, overweight and whatnot. What if, it, what if it's going to take so long you just don't even do it? Well, he's told me before, so what? What if it does take you? twice as long or three times as long or more. That's not an excuse for not doing it. And I, I think those are good, good words to remember. So all of this is really bringing back to mind the idea of being good at being a man. And I think that's a, a really good point to keep in mind today because our, our culture has, has lost that with our younger men. And we need to get it back. We need to learn what it means to be a man again. And I think all these things can really be boiled down in the four pillars of manhood. Pray, provide, protect, and preside. But we'll talk more about that a little bit later. Let's go ahead and go on to his second talk now, the follow-up, which is mature masculinity and strategic advantage. Glory to Jesus Christ. This is Father Michael Butler of Holy Transfiguration Orthodox Church in Livonia, Michigan, on the second episode of my little series on masculinity and orthodoxy. In this episode, we'll talk about immature, mature, and toxic masculinity. In the last episode, or in the first episode, I suggested that masculinity is hard to define, but that we all recognize it when we see it, that it has objective characteristics that are found across cultures, that it is closer to being good at being a man than it is to being a good man, that we can offer orthodox men help with both being a good man and help with being good at being a man 
while grounding both aspects of Christ in his gospel. I suggested that masculinity is what men want from other men, or that it's what we find admirable in other men. We identified several traits that we don't find admirable, things like weakness, anxiety, inability to plan or follow through, lack of integrity and instability. And we looked at a few positive, admirable qualities that we want in other men, qualities like physicality and strength, decisiveness, assertiveness, calmness or cool, productivity, passion and intensity, indomitability, consistency, depth, and authenticity. I'd like to do three things in this episode. First, I'd like to distinguish immature from mature masculinity. Second, I'd like to say briefly what toxic masculinity is. And third, I'd like to show you that being masculine offers us a competitive advantage in life. So first up, immature and mature masculinity. I said at the beginning of the first episode that I'm going to reject out of hand the postmodern view that masculinity is just whatever you want it to be. That if you're self to the max, a thousand percent authentic and real, and committed to who you are deep down inside, well, that's masculine. Well, thousands of years of human history disagree with that, and so do I. Mature masculinity, full manhood, uh, is in fact a gift. A gift that is traditionally recognized and bestowed by other men. Other men recognize our value, our ability to produce, to provide, to fight, to be of service, and they choose to accept us into their ranks. Moreover, our masculinity is given to us so that we can give it back as a gift to the world. It's not for our own enjoyment, but to serve a larger good, be it our family, business, church, or broader community. For example, our physicality, our larger size and strength relative to women. It's not for bullying others, nor for aggrandizing ourselves, but is to protect and provide for those who are near to us. By the way, just as a footnote, our dicks are not just for our own pleasure, but for our women, and ultimately for procreation. Our ability to produce is not just to satisfy our, our own wants and needs, Mature men produce more than they consume so that they have enough left over to provide for others. Really, whom do we protect and provide for? Over whom do we assert ourselves if not the people in our care for whom we are responsible? Toxic masculinity is precisely masculinity and men that are not responsible to others nor responsible for others, but rather men who are in service to their own eager, their own ego, and to their own selfish ends. It is immature masculinity, the masculinity of boys in men's bodies, a galloping narcissism that's only bent on satisfying adolescent desires, demanding everything, and giving little or nothing in return. On a side note, one of the reasons why younger men have trouble with coming up with a vision for their lives is that they're running away from their pain and looking for comfort and escape rather than confronting their pain and finding the meaning in it. They are living for comfort for themselves. They are still struggling with aspects of maturity and of coming to a masculine, uh, mature masculine identity. Uh, here's the story to kind of back that up a little bit. I'm told that in Aleut villages in Alaska, when a boy reaches maturity, the men of the village take him on his first seal hunt. When he kills his seal, 
it's brought back to the village for a feast. Everyone in the village eats from that seal, except the boy who killed it. The lesson here is clear. A weapon, the ability to hunt and to kill, the assumption of manhood, are not for the boy's own personal benefit. Rather, they are his to use in service to everyone else in the village. And that's what mature masculinity is about. It is not for our own use. It's recognized and bestowed by other men, and then it is ours to use in service to the greater community. Maybe a question arises. Why should we bother with being more masculine? One really good and basic reason is that masculinity often offers us a competitive advantage in life. Men who are decisive, who hold themselves to high account, who live by principles and don't simply react to the world around them, who live with determination and drive, these are men who will self-improve and adapt well when situations around them change. Being assertive, being able to exercise aggression within a set of rules, like in business or in sports, allows men to engage in healthy male competition without destroying our social connections. Being calm and cool, maintaining frame, and when we don't give a damn about other people's opinions, that can really drive innovation. And it helps to check popular opinion, especially when that opinion is wrong. Being decisive and assertive and productive does away with the feelings of helplessness and victimhood we see in so many men today. Also, the more men stop bitching and moaning and start solving their own problems, the less we need the government to intrude in our lives, and it makes the feeble, it makes the complainers look even more feeble than they really are. And a masculine focus on getting actual results. Did this actually do anything? Did we accomplish anything here? Well, that embarrasses virtue signalers, doesn't it? So to sum up, your masculinity is a gift, an acknowledgement bestowed upon you by other men who recognize your value, and it is a gift for you to give to those around you. Now, that implies a burden of performance, doesn't it? If you want other men to recognize your value, you'd better be able to provide some. And if you're going to give anything worthwhile to those around you, once again, you'd better have something worthwhile to give. If you're not sure what value you bring to the table, then maybe you need to start there and give it some serious thought. Maybe making sure that you have some value to give is one of the first things you need to work on. And if you can maximize your masculine characteristics, you'll see the strategic advantages it offers to help you get ahead in life. That's all I got for you now. Thanks for your time and attention. We'll catch you the next time. Okay, we're going to go on to the third one as well. One more episode with Father Michael. But before we do that, again, uh, some great points, you know, especially speaking uh, to the younger men. Hey, get off the porn. Hey, get off the video games. Rather than grinding in the video games and becoming a virtual warrior and hero, do it in your daily life. And I liked how. Father Michael said too that it's uh, a gift. Um, it's it's a gift from God, our human nature, and being men, our manhood. But that has to be earned, 
And so it's a gift that other men give too. So I'm going to briefly just turn to the ultimate man survival guide because it talks about this rite of passage that is really lacking for young men. And as Father Michael was saying, if it's not there, if that rite of passage isn't there, um, the young men are going to be turning to escapism in pornography and in video games, alcohol, drugs, and whatnot. So I'm going to quote from the ultimate man's survival guide from the introduction. Today, the transition from boy to man is a subtle shift marked more by ages than feats. At 18, we can vote, smoke, and die for our country. At 21, we can drink. These are earned merely by living, not doing. Just a few generations ago, only the wealthy stayed in school and out of the trades into their teens. And now we pamper youth and grumble that they're grown up too fast when what we really mean is they're exposed to sin too soon, not to manhood. Strip clubs, alcohol, and tobacco are considered manly things now, but surely don't make men of boys. So how do we become men when there's no test to pass? After all, despite the lack of a rite of passage, being a man is something we try to achieve, at least the best of us. And there's more to being a man than shooting 100 on the sports range, dropping a bully with a right hook. There's being a father, a husband, a good brother, and a citizen. Being a man means doing the right thing regardless of who's looking, means biting the bullet and taking the hit in life, even when you're not going to profit, especially when you're not going to profit. Being a man means suffering in silence, knowing how to keep your mouth shut, but still not being afraid to speak up. It means being the white knight, the Robin Hood, the George Washington, all rolled in one. It means speaking softly, yet carrying a big stick. It means knowing how to say you're sorry and mean it means keeping your own counsel and knowing when to seek advice. Very tricky life stuff. It means understanding the words duty, honor, country. It means having the know-how to solve a crisis. It means not panicking in an emergency. It means being a hero when no one is looking. It means knowing how to survive, lead, and show others the way. Being a man means standing your ground when you must, but not seeking glory by harming or dominating others. A man is never a bully. Being a man means finding the correct path, even if you don't have a guide. Hamlet doesn't become a man until he dies, because left fatherless, he is forced to take the steps to manhood alone, and so attempts immature machinations before standing up boldly for justice and then dying as a man of courage and honor. Today, American males have no code. We have laws, but legalism is a poor substitute for a code of honor because legality doesn't always parallel morality. The fundamental thing is despite the absence of a clear rite of passage, every male must learn how to be a man as best he can. That's what, that's what we're missing. And if that is missing in a child's life, when they're at that critical age of 12, 13 years old, um, they're going to turn to other things. So it's really, really critical that we get that back the way we do that uh, 
the Orthodox Christian Men's Association is I love riding motorcycles. I love going out to the shooting range and I love bringing my son to that and doing that with him. Of course, we go airsofting right now, but he's been to the gun range as well. And, uh, you know, we've got little 100cc motorcycles and get them on there and they're just having a blast so they can really feel like they're earning that gift of becoming young men and becoming good at being a man. All right, let's get back to Father Michael's final episode, A Man Fully Alive. Then we're going to tie in some church fathers and scripture with this as well. Here's Father Michael one more time. There is a quotation from St. Irenaeus of Lyon from his work Against Heresies. The glory of God is a man fully alive. It finds its way into a lot of Christian discussions of masculinity. John Eldridge, for example, cites it in Wild at Heart, and it's on the St. Paisios Brotherhood webpage as well. Where does the quotation come from, and what does St. Irenaeus mean by it? He says, and to give you the larger context for the quotation, again this is from Against Heresies, Book 4, Chapter 20, Paragraph 7, quote, For the glory of God is a living man, and the life of man consists in beholding God. For if the manifestation of God, which is made by means of the creation, affords life to all living in the earth, much more does that revelation of the Father, which comes through the word, give life to those who see God. Gloria Dei est vivens homo. That's the literal translation. The glory of God is a living man. So the glory of God is a living man. Well, that doesn't sound so special. But what does it mean? St. Irenaeus goes on. The life of man consists in beholding God. Okay, so how do we behold God? Through the revelation of the Father, which comes through the word which gives life. So, if we have the life-giving revelation of the Father, which comes through the Word, then we can behold God and be full of life, and in that way be a living man who is the glory of God. And here arises a problem. The popular translation, a man fully alive, seems to indicate that God is glorified by what today would be called human development or self-fulfillment. This is a very subtle temptation especially for those of us who do men's work, because we're very much concerned with helping men to become the best that they can be in every aspect of their lives. And the idea of being fully alive seems right up our alley. We want you to be fully alive physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. Don't you want the same thing? So we focus a lot of time and effort on self-improvement and self-fulfillment and striving for excellence and overcoming our weaknesses, and being accountable, and being disciplined. And that's all good, and more and more in our day it's necessary for men to focus on those things, and we've got to do it, because too many of us are coming up short. But as Orthodox men, we need to keep in mind one fundamental principle. The foundation on which we build everything has got to be Christ. Look at what St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me, as a wise master builder I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. 
For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each man's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So what kinds of things are gold, silver, and precious stones? What kind of things are going to survive the day of the Lord? What kind of works can be tested with fire and still endure? What kind of things are wood, hay, and straw and are going to be burnt up? Given that, is there a place still left for self-improvement? Can you be a good Orthodox Christian man and practice atomic habits, or know that discipline equals freedom, or bust your ass in the gym six days a week, or roll Brazilian jiu-jitsu, strive to crush it at work or at school? Can you be an Orthodox man and still keep your man card? Absolutely. So long as we keep Christ the foundation, we should work to be the best men we can be for ourselves, our families, our communities, and ultimately for God, who gifted each of us with our masculinity, however that looks for you in your life. All right, great. Yeah, Father Michael is very big into men's ministry, and listening to that final talk, I have to say, sounds like PBJ to me. Sounds like PBJ. Four pillars of manhood, seven building blocks, and Jesus Christ is the foundation and chief cornerstone. So thank you, Father Michael, for uh, allowing me to share those with our Orthodox Christian Men's Association audience.